Hello, and thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Gary Ellard here at Grace Bible Fellowship in Front Royal, Virginia. For some, the new year is a time of change. Others don't like change and try to avoid it. In this first message of 2020, Pastor Gary Ellert reminds us that, much to the dismay of the religious establishment of his day, Jesus came and changed the way people see and approach God forever. Let's listen. My subject this morning is a new beginning. And I love the idea that we're going to have the communion service on the first Sunday of the new year. Um, Many of you will agree with me, I think, that change is unavoidable. You know, it's all part of our life. Um, And change is not always our choice, but it's how we handle it that matters the most. The facts are everyone is changing. Our society is changing and no one is exempt. Whether for good or bad, change is coming and change is here. Well, the question is that people have asked through the years, uh, what about God? Does God change with the change? And the good news is no, he doesn't. The good news is that the Bible teaches us that he is unchanging. He is the same today. He was the same yesterday, today, and the future. He does not change. God is the one fixed point that we have in a fast-moving drama of life. God is sovereign. God does not change. Does God work in and through changes to accomplish his purpose? Of course, yes, he does. Jesus' teachings turned the world upside down when he was here over 2,000 years ago. He taught an economics that was unheard of. He challenged the political practice that if you want to lead, you should serve serve first. He described family relationships based on God's family rather than blood ties that we experience and have. But where Jesus caused near riots was his teaching in the area of religion. In fact, so much so that they wanted to crucify him and they did. He interpreted scripture in such a way that religious leaders begged to have him put to death. Jesus placed far more importance on people than observing rules and regulations or laws. So the Bible tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So Paul spoke of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, 
as an act of rational worship. Now, what does that mean, an act of rational worship? He uses the tense that means it's something we do once for all. We only do it once. We come to him and we offer our body a living sacrifice. Why would God even want our bodies? Why would he ask us to sacrifice our bodies? Well, our bodies are the seat of the flesh. And the flesh has an antagonistic nature to not want to do what God wants us to do, not like what God likes. And so your body is a source of temptation. And yet God is saying, bring me your body, a living sacrifice. And most of us say, great, you can take it. It hasn't been serving me well throughout my life, so you can have, you can have it. Now, the problem is, is that what does God do with our body? In Romans 12, 2, it says this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice it says here that you're not to conform to the world, but you should be renewing your mind. These are the two things that God asks us to do when we present our bodies to him. And then it says, so that you may prove what is the will of God. Now, a lot of times this, this idea of do not conform to the world has been misunderstood through the years. Most of the people, they think, well, do not be conformed to the world. You know, it's, you should be playing cards. You shouldn't be gambling. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't, uh, be smoking or drinking and all of this kind of stuff. And some people have taken it real to the extreme and they say, uh, you know, you shouldn't have electricity in your home. And some people say, uh, I get a kick out of a, a fellow up in, uh, he's a, a preacher up in Pennsylvania that I like very well, and I, I talk to him often. And, I, and um, all of his tractors, they don't have rubber tires on it because it's against his religion. They have metal tires. And it's just against his religion. And just down a, a few miles from him, there's a fellow plowing with some horses, and he doesn't believe in tractors at all. That's for the world. Be not conformed to the world. But that is not what the Bible is saying. It's not saying that at all. It's not talking about movies or anything else. God is saying, this world is all about advancing self. That's what this world is all about trying to get ahead. And God is saying, Christians, you don't live that way anymore. You don't live on that basis anymore. It's not about you getting ahead. The spirit of this world is to seek our own personal happiness. But the renewing of your mind 
is seeing how God sees you. That's the renewing of your mind. God wants you to see his power, his strength, his holiness. He wants you to see who he really is. And he wants you to see how much he actually loves you. On your worst day, he wants you to know that he loves you. He thinks you're tremendous. He thinks you're wonderful. And that's really how he thinks. That's how he thinks about you. That's why he says to us, your sins are not only forgiven, but they're forgotten. I don't, I, they're all. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do we believe that we're a child of God? I think we do. But do we really believe it? Do we believe that we have Christ living in us? Do we really believe that? Or is it something that we want to believe? The object of our faith is Jesus Christ. The Bible is God's revelation of Jesus Christ. It's called the living word. But the Bible itself can never replace the true object of our faith. The Pharisees, they thought they knew the Old Testament scriptures better than anyone else, and I believe they were right. I believe they did. All their lives, these men have been schooled in scripture. They had learned, memorized, they repeated the text, they taught, they've written about it, and yet, standing in before Jesus, they read all of all the scriptures pertaining to the coming of the Messiah. But standing before Jesus, they really didn't know anything. And the Bible says here, in John 5, in John 5, 39 and 40, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Do you know that there's a lot of Christians that search the scriptures to try to find eternal life? And he said to these Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. He said, it is these that testify about me and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. The Pharisees knew the book, but they didn't know the author. And we have to be very careful that we do not make the same mistake. We can know what the Bible says, but it's more important for us to know the author. Now, most of us, when we read books, we notice who wrote it, but we don't study who wrote it. We just read the book. There is within the Christian church a mindset. Many feel that they know what the Bible says because they have read the book. But they do not have a clue on what it means. And that's the tragedy. To read scripture and to not understand it. Know it, yes. You can know what the Bible says. But you might not know the meaning of it. 
I made the same mistake that the Pharisees made. When I was a young minister, I would read the Bible, and I was reading it to find out what I had to do for my own righteousness. And I wanted, I wanted to do everything that God wanted me to do. But I was never content in my progress. I always felt I was lacking something. My concept of success as a minister was simply tied to production and performance. I can recall when I gave my life to Christ five months after I was out of the Marine Corps. And I remember going home that evening when I went forward and gave my life to Christ. I said to the Lord in my car driving home, Lord, show me what I'm to do and I'll do it. You just tell me what you want me to do and I'll promise you I'll do it. It wasn't a, probably just a few months later, I was reading the Old Testament. And that's exactly what the Israelites responded to Moses when he came down from Mount Sinai. Tell us what we should, what, just, you just tell us what we're supposed to do and we'll do it. And they probably, I can't speak for them, but they probably felt the same way I did is that it was never enough. I could never, I, I wasn't satisfied with the progress I was making. And I began to examine myself, my prayer life, my study life, my quiet time, all of this. And I just wanted to do more. I just wanted to do more, thinking that that would be the key to finding a relationship with God that would be unbelievable. And it just doesn't work that way. In 2 Corinthians 3, 15, but to this day, whenever Moses is read, now when the Bible says this, it's talking about whenever the law, whenever the law is emphasized, it says, but to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. I mean, that's a wonderful text. And I began to realize that the more that I would focus on the object of my faith, Jesus Christ, that God would lead me into taking that veil away. And it was a very hard time in my life as a minister to begin to see this and here I was in a denomination who believed that you had to keep the commandments, you had to follow the rules and the regulations, you had to do this, you had to do that. And it was a very much of a struggle for me. When we try to live by the rules, we soon discover we can't, we just can't measure up somehow. And the harder we try, the stronger the battle with sin is. But of course, that's what the law was for, wasn't it? It was given to us so that we could realize that we can't do it. We can't do it. And only God can. 
Now, especially if you're working at it. If you're trying to get righteous by your performance, you're going to have a terrible time. Because only God can make a man godly. Only God. You can't do it. I don't care how hard you try. You can't do it. Only God can make a man godly. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9, the Bible says this. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for him, for those who love him. And then the Bible says, for to us God revealed them through the Spirit. You know, as I read the Bible and you read the, the Gospels and so forth, we're talking about only 3% of the population could even read or write. And then we're talking about even disciples who walked hand in hand with Christ. Some of them could not read or write. And here the Bible says that God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Now, can we, can we really rely, can we rely on our intellect and, edu and our education to understand the Word of God? No. Can we trust the science of biblical interpretation or understanding the original language for, for, for the true meaning of the scripture? No, we can't. These are tools to help us know what the Bible says. But only the Spirit of God, who lives in the believer, can teach us what it means. The work of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Jesus Christ. The Bible says the truth will set you free. So the question we need to ask ourselves, are we free? Are we free to be who we really are? Are we satisfied with who we are? Do we really believe that we are a child of God? So what is the source that gives life to the Spirit? Well, it's nothing less than Jesus Christ. Jesus in the Spirit is what gives it life. Our identity is what we are in Christ. In Acts 17, 28, it says, For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said. Paul is talking to those philosophers on Mars Hill. For we also are his children. Now just think about it. Living, moving, our very existence. It sounds like the Bible is describing Christ living in you. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Living, moving. Wow. Jesus is at our core, our existence. That gives us an identity much greater than most Christians will acknowledge. 
Listen, when we accepted Jesus Christ, when we acknowledged him, we were born again, we were placed in Christ, the Bible tells us. We were literally placed in Christ. Now, he gave us a new heart. He gave us a new human spirit. He filled us with the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says that you are saints. And many times I have heard since I've been going to this gym up in West Virginia, many of them I've talked to and they've said that they are sinners saved by grace. And I said, no, you're saints who occasionally sin that are saved by grace. It's understanding who we really are. Uh, and when the, Bible, when the Bible becomes very clear that at our very being, at our very core, we are what God says we are. We are saints. Now, we're afraid to say it sometimes, but it's true. Now, Paul says to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling... He doesn't say saints by behavior, does he? He says saints by calling. Now, these saints, they were doing almost everything wrong at Corinth. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it, this whole concept of Christ living in you. And so here, Paul says, saints by calling. With all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Paul is talking about being born of God. We should not be uncomfortable by referring to us as saints. We shouldn't be. Because that's how God sees us. That's what God says we are. That doesn't mean that you live a sinless life. But it does mean that God has placed you in Christ. It's Christ in you. Ephesians, <clears throat> Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So now the Bible says that not only are we saints, we are God's workmanship. God created us the way we are. And yet he says we are his workmanship. Every one of us are different. Praise the Lord for that. Every one of us are different. And God has chosen us. He's knocked on the heart of our door and we responded. And now we are his workmanship. The Bible says you are righteous and holy. The Bible says that you are blameless. The Bible says that you have received the gift of righteousness. If I only would have understood that when I was a young preacher. I thought I had a lot to do with building my righteousness, helping God out, cooperating with God. It sounds very religious. It sounds like it would work. But that was not God's intention the way it would work. Your new human spirit that God gave you was filled with his righteousness. That's why every single one of us 
I don't care who we are. Every single one of us that have become Christians, it is our deepest desire to do and be what God wants us to be. Because he has given us his righteousness. That's, that's who we are. And when we don't behave righteously, we are being inconsistent with who we are. That's all. That's it. We're being inconsistent with who we are. The Bible says that you are fully accepted by God. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In the beloved. We have the beloved. We have Jesus Christ's righteousness in us. In us. It is our desire to do what he wants us to do. But when we listen to the flesh, yes. Sometimes this world comes at us and we listen to the flesh and we make mistakes. And God even covers us there. He has accepted us completely. Your acceptance is not based on what you do, but who you are. When you're born of God, your acceptance is complete. And who does the Bible say you are? Well, the Bible says you are a new creation. You are a new creation. We are going to either have to trust our feelings or what God says is true about us. And that's the whole issue in living out the Christian life. Do I believe how I feel? Because sometimes our feelings are all over the place. Or do I believe what he says is true about me? That's the challenge that he's given to us. And he says that when you, come to, when you came to me and you presented your body to me, I wanted you to do two things. Do not conform to the world. Do not live for just self. Do not do that. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I would hope that every Sunday, it's my prayer every Sunday. Lord, help me to express to you how much God loves you. To help me, to under, to help me get across how free you are in Christ, how free you are to be you. Just being you, that's all he wants. He doesn't want you to perform well. He doesn't want you to act like you're some holy person. Because if you act who you are, that will come out. That will come out. You are fully accepted. Satan has caused far too many Christians to believe that they are really not a new person in Christ. He tells them, you know, he encourages Christians. He says, you need to try harder. Who in the world would ever believe that Satan would encourage Christians to try harder? And that's what he's doing. He wants us to study more, pray more, and, 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 and actually believe that that's going to do it. And it doesn't. 
It doesn't. It's understanding who you are in Christ. That's what does it. It's understanding how much Christ loves you because the more you understand his love for you, the more capacity you will have to love others. It'll just come oozing out. You don't have to do anything. It'll just come oozing out. It's important to see yourself as God sees you. Christ offers us everything. The devil just says to the Christian, he knows that he can't do anything to you. He can't possess you. He can't do anything. The only thing he can do is harass you, tell you, see, you're not a Christian. Otherwise, you wouldn't think that way. You're not a Christian because you, you're, what you're doing or what you're watching and all that. You're not a Christian. That's the devil talking to us. Some Christians think it's the Holy Spirit. It's the devil that is the accuser of the brethren, not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit encourages you. You know, it's the same, I've said it before, but I'll say it again. It's the same way with discipline. You know, Christians like to talk about discipline. That they did something wrong and God disciplined them. Well, the same Greek word for discipline is disciple. And what did, what did Christ do with his disciples? He trained them. We look at discipline as being punishment. No, there is no punishment for the Christian. Discipline is training. He's training us. That's the beauty about God. The beauty about God is everything he does. The underlining word is love. Everything he does for us. As we move into the Lord's Supper, we are reminded that all of our sins are forgiven and forgotten. As we move into the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that Jesus Christ, when he went on the cross, he took the punishment for sin. All of it. All of it. There is none left for you. There is no punishment left for you. We are reminded that as believers, we have passed through the judgment. We've already been judged. Thanks again for listening to this message from Grace Bible Fellowship in Front Royal, Virginia. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.gracebiblefellowshipchurch.org.